20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest. He's the one and only Mike Wall. You can find him at on Twitter or X at MikeWall68. Mike, it's great to have you back. Happy holidays. How have you been? Andy, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, as always. Yeah, it's always fun having you. A lot to discuss this week. Unfortunately, not a ton in the positive category, although there certainly was some things on offense to take away from this one. But I feel like I'm playing the hits this week, talking to everyone um, it's impossible not to start on the defensive side of the ball. Let me just start by simply kind of asking you this. Coaching issue, scheme issue, execution slash player issue, or all of the above? Yeah, that's a that's a yes, certainly. <laughs> and and um, everybody, everyone's got their opinion uh, as far. I think, you know, the fun thing about being a fan uh, when you're outside of the organization or you don't like you like you don't know how the sausage is made. Yeah. is that you can go largely on emotion. So there's a lot of emotional like, well, this isn't happening. I don't like it, so I can get angry. But if yep. you just – like this is a an NFL organization. I mean, the locker room, the, the locker room plus the coaching staff plus the personnel staff, just that alone, that is a living organism. And yep. so all these different interactions mean something. And the way they interact with one another and, and, and the, the way that they hold each other accountable, all of those things matter. In a, in a way that we don't necessarily, we just kind of look at the outcome and go, well, it's not working or it's not. But the point here is <clears throat> if you don't have any personal responsibility as a professional athlete to like know the basic assignments that you're, that you're required to know on day one, that you're, uh, that you understand your run fits, that you understand your checks and calls, that you understand how to tackle, or that you're like an expert at the basics of your positional requirements, tackling, coming, shedding blocks, et cetera. Like if you're not good at that stuff, it's on you. It's not on the coach. Uh, for you know, a coach's responsibility now, and there's there's different levels of this, but the, the coach's responsibility is to help you get to the, a point where you can be your best um, in some form or fashion. But the the onus ultimately is on you, the athlete. And so if there's if there's a situation where like you can't tackle, or you don't know how to shed a block, or you're not comfortable enough in what you're doing to to have the proper run fit, or you're not comfortable enough in what you're doing to make the, the call or the check, or you're not identifying something on film. And you're not getting help from the coach. It doesn't excuse you from not being able to do it. Now, the, the flip side of that, Andy, is like if you're if you're a coach and you have a player, and I've I've been around guys like this that can let's say they can ingest five pieces of information and do it at a high level, and the coach is giving them 25 pieces of information. Well, that's on the coach. You got to understand your personnel, understand what you're doing. The difference here is what the disconnect often where it often occurs is. How many guys are actually putting in the maximum amount of like Ray Lewis tape time in order to get ready to execute whatever's being asked of them? Like how much practice, prep, film session, film session with like Amon Green used to, you know, we used to talk on our show last year. We would get together on Fridays and the running backs and the tight ends, everybody would watch blitz pickup with us. The quarterback would run the drill because you have to know what everybody's going to be doing. Like, it doesn't matter if I know it, if you don't know it, we're not communicating or if we're using different language to talk about the same thing. So like there's blame to go around, but you know, ultimately the thing that's interesting with the Packers is, and we saw this with Mike Tom today, it's probably a separate discussion, but the interesting thing about the Packers is they don't have an owner. So there's no Jerry Jones, like telling you, you have to play a guy who's not prepared. So if, if there's guys on the roster that aren't prepared to play or aren't playing at the level they should, and they're not prep they're preparing, 
Like if I was a coach, I'd rather lose with the the lesser athlete that's putting his heart and soul into it than losing with the better athlete that's not working hard to get to where they need to be. And I'm not saying that's the situation in Green Bay, but like given what you're seeing on tape every week, something's got to give. And that explanation leads me to think there's probably a little bit of that going on. Like we're playing the talent. So you mentioned there's a lot that goes into this and how the sausage is made and it's a living organism. Let's let me ask you this. It's on the player to understand their, their basic assignments, how to tackle all those sort of things. I'm a million percent in agreement with you. How much of that is on the front office to get the right players in the first place that have that mentality that want to go the extra mile that want to do the tape study that care about the game. And that in like today's day and age, at least have that baseline of tackling and, and basics down when they kind of get to the NFL and are again, going to continue to work on it. Is that a piece of this as well? Or is that just too much to expect when you're drafting a bunch of college players and expecting them to come in and start all, like start from scratch, basically? Yeah, great, great question, Andy. So I'll just give you an example. So I like when I, if somebody asks me to do a write-up on a college player as an eval, yep. like I have a way that I go through that. It's a very process-best way. So I, I don't really care if you got the play right or not, if you won or you lost. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell that person who wants the information how they're going about their business, like what the process looks like and where they can improve. Because that's all that really matters to me. Yep. When I've talked to personnel guys in different in different places, they can fall in love with the measurables. They can fall in love with like an aggressive person. Like I love how aggressive this guy is on tape, even though he doesn't do anything right. Um, they can fall in love with all these different characteristics that usually have something to do with like the physical or maybe the temperament. And what we fall into the problem of is like, that doesn't address what is actually happening behind the scenes. Like the reason that I'm always so enamored with, with a, a person being the best at the basics, the person having technical mastery is because that is a gateway into or an insight into that person's professionalism. That's an insight into that person's resiliency. That's a person that's an insight into how that person takes information and processes it. Like you can't just wake up and be really good at, you know, coming in and out of breaks, blocking or tackling, um, quarterback footwork. All that stuff takes a lot of effort and people don't spend a lot of time on it. So if I can find a guy that is really good at that, like I already know a lot of those intangible things that I can't measure on the field, I'm already going to like. And I don't think that – I don't know about necessarily about the Green Bay Packers, but I know that in other organizations I've been around, they don't consider that at all. They consider like what the 40 time is, what the vertical jump is. Wow. He jumps off tape. Cause he's a better athlete than everybody else at the college level. Those things don't necessarily matter to somebody like me, but I could see how you could kind of see how like at some level, it's very easy to fall into this traditional trap of we've been doing it the same way for 30, 40 years. We're just going to continue to do it that way. It's funny because it's always talked about of like, well, you, you can't teach the four, three forty speed. Like you can teach them how to play football, but I also think it doesn't get talked about enough of like, how you can't teach that mentality of wanting to be the best of mastering your skill set of doing those sort of things. And to me, that matters. And I, I do think some of the best teams in the league look for a lot of those intangible qualities. And of course this, when we talk about making the secrets, there's no perfect formula. If there was, everyone would be doing the exact same thing. If you end up with a bunch of guys that have amazing intangibles, but everyone's running a four, eight you're probably not going to end up doing all that well either. You've got to have a mix of everything, but I do think what you're, saying is is hugely um underrated and i don't think it gets enough credit for just the time effort energy the intangibles 
all those sort of things that go into it and making just kind of everything work in tech. And it felt like for a while, Green Bay had some players like that. I just, on defense, I don't see a lot of that right now. And I think, again, I've been talking all week. I don't think it's just one thing. And that's why I wanted to start with that question at the beginning for you. I don't think this is a copy and paste, cut out Joe Barry, paste in a new defensive coordinator and job's done. You're good to go. I think there's going to have to be a lot of things looked at on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. So there's, there's two things I just wanted to hit because you brought it up. So the bandwidth in talent at the pro level is really small. Everyone wants to think it's really big. It's not. It's really small. And so there's a couple outliers, a couple guys that run like a 4-2, 4-3, whatever. But the thing is, like, and coaches don't know this, you can teach speed. Your kid's going to a speed camp next week. We just talked yep. about it. My kid does too because you can teach speed. Now, you can't teach 4-3 speed necessarily, but I can, you yep. know, you can drop it down to a very competitive level. You can teach change of direction. You can teach them to – you can be, you can help make them more pliable. You can help make them more you know, stronger, more powerful, more athletic. You can do all that stuff. It was always the thought process was 30, 40 years ago that you couldn't do it, but you can. And and unfortunately, a lot of the stuff doesn't really caught up with like who's in charge of actual the people who are playing on game day. And then the other thing that that I think is um is relevant is like while the answer might not it might might not be as easy as insert uh you know the giants D coordinator for uh for for joe barry right Right. like i don't think it doesn't work like that for me either because really it's it's it starts with where matt lafleur because he's the head coach and there's no there's no owner here right and goody's not he's not a like x's and o's guy so it's like how matt lafleur takes the time in the offseason to address how he is going to set expectations how he's going to transparently communicate with his staff how those expectations are going to flow through to the players what d what what structure he's going to set up his meetings, practice schedules, so they can all the details have time to be kind of um, uh, teased out. Like all of that stuff matters. And it's not necessarily for each team, a cut and paste. We'll just fix this problem. Right. Well, or, or we'll just, uh, we'll do what the Steelers are doing. Cause the Steelers have always been good. Or we'll just do the, what the Patriots are doing. Cause Belichick was always so smart. Like it doesn't work that way. You have to bring your own personal style to it, but it doesn't matter who you put at the DC spot. Having said that, if you bring in, if you, if you were to get rid of a guy like Joe Barry right now, what you do get to do is you get to test the you get to test the rest of your staff. It yeah. gives it gives two things. It really gives a heads up to the defensive players like you did this. A man just lost his job because you don't do because you're not doing yours because that's really how they feel. They they might not say it, but that's how they feel. And then the second thing is like, oh, you have all these other people on your staff. If you have a crackerjack staff, maybe there's somebody on there that can show up and show out, and maybe you get a little bit head start on thinking about what you want to be, do from a philosophical standpoint next year. But I'm not saying that's the, the answer, but I do see some positives from from changing it, even at this late of the season. I, I agree with that. And I was a little bit surprised that they didn't, if, if nothing else, to maybe give them a spark on defense these last three games when they're still competing for the playoffs. But clearly that was not the direction that they decided to go in. I will be interested to see if things, for some reason, go very poorly against this Carolina offense. Then what happens? Do you, do you fire the guy on Christmas? I don't, I don't know. It just gets messy after this, but... We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully they just play well against Carolina and can can go on a streak after that. All right, sticking on the defensive side of the ball, I wanted to start with off-ball linebacker. We obviously had Devondre's comments this week. It was a tough day for Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell. Both players have been beat up. They've been on the injury report. They've been in and out of games. Uh, but I think we've seen over the past, really going back to last season and this season, I think we've seen a little bit of a trend from both of these players. But just wanted your take on the off-ball linebackers, Campbell's comments, and, and where these you know kind of two players are trending. 
as far as performance goes, um, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but like from my standpoint and, and what could be happening versus what is happening. There's communication issues that were, I think, blatant during the, during the game. And, um, you know, those guys are the quarterbacks of your defense. Uh, that's that's a very very critical position in in this defense, and you have to be uh, you have to be super confident, you have to be super engaged, and you, and you you have to be aggressive, and you have to be a great communicator. And, and so there's a that that position requires a lot, and I don't know that you know injuries or not, I don't know that they've they've performed at that at, at a level that re, that is required of them their entire season. In, in regards to Devondre's comments, you know. I, Again, you just have to assume he's referencing the fact that he's playing injured. I played injured, and and what Devondre, if if we're taking that that tack and we're saying that that he's he's frustrated because he's injured and he's being judged by by on a, on a scale that's not necessarily fair to him right now because he thinks he's doing everybody a favor. Um, I've been there, man. Like, and it's tough because what you want is you just want somebody to to stand up and say. Like this guy is dying for us every week and he's hurt and he's not who he wants to be, but he's out there playing for our team. And the fact that he had to go to this length to say that or or to for anybody to stand up for him at this point in the season is really, I think it's toxic. Like I think it's terrible that he had to say it or that he felt like, I, I think it's bad that he said it. I think it's bad that he felt like he had to say it because nobody else was saying it for him. Yeah. It's it, it really is bothersome. Now, when he puts it out there, and then the next day he says, "Well, I'm not going to talk about it." It's like, well, sh- well, shoot, man, why did you bring it up then? <laughs> like, like I, I don't understand I that thought process. Like, I know you have, you know, it's 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 everyone's everyone's real smart on this thing, you know. But all of a sudden you got to talk face to face, and like life changes a little bit. And I, I don't like that approach. Like, stand behind what you said, man. If 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 you're upset by it, just it's it's fair to say. Like, you're you're a respected person in the locker room. If you feel like I've been playing hurt, and I'm doing my best. Like, hey, media, I'm playing hurt. I'm doing my best. Like I know it's not what you guys want. I know it's not what the, it's not what I want. But God damn it, I'm going to be out here. I'm going to bleed for this team because that's my job. And I think people respect you when you say stuff like that. But you can't go, you can't put it on here and then say you're not going to talk about it the rest of the day. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think if you would have said exactly what you just said, I think he gains a higher level of respect from everyone. Honestly, uh, let me. I want to ask you about that that human element and just even just like the decision-making process. You've mentioned you've played hurt, you've played injured. Um, what what goes into that when you're thinking, all right, I'm, I'm clearly not 100% here. I need to go out and help my team. Obviously, different injuries are, you know, some you just literally can't play through, some you can. Like, how, how do you, like, what goes into all of that decision and deciding to play in a given week when you're not yourself? Well, it depends where you're at in your career, I suppose. I mean, now, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't get hurt. I got hurt my eighth year. I was an all-pro. And it was like, man, you pay me a lot of money to do the job. This is the job I want to do my whole life. You're not going to get me off the field unless I can't, and I literally can't perform. Right. Or if you can find somebody to replace me that's going to do a better job than I could. At the time, for me, that wasn't the case. And I, you know, I remember I was in so much, I mean, and if I told you the amount of pain medication I was taking just to get through the day, it, I, I wasn't sleeping at night. I was, I was the worst version of myself. Yeah. And I, at one point I went to John Fox and just said, look, man, if Foxy, if you've got anybody else to do the job, like I am dying, I'm not playing well. I'm playing with one arm. I'm, I, I can't, I can barely tolerate walking around. I'm in so much pain. And he was in there like, yeah, we had the discussion, man. There's nobody better than you doing one, the job one handed. And I was like, well, I guess that's, you know, that's is because the team, 
The hard part is the teams, the coaches, the coaches have a shorter term contract than you do. I mean, there's, their leash is shorter, right? So they want you to play because you're the you're the player to play. And and uh, for me, it took literally my shoulder popped out of socket during warmups, about to play the Pittsburgh Steelers when I hit Chris Jenkins. My shoulder dropped to the floor, and I I was like, all right, I'm not. I need to get another MRI, and they you know they figured out what was wrong with me, and I, I went on an IR. But the the point is. As a player and the brand, you know, all the brand awareness and all this stuff, and they understand the business a little bit better now. So I think that's part of it too. But as a player, you know, Devondre Campbell just signed a big contract um, because he played so well two years ago. He was injured last year. And a guy like that's thinking, I'm sure I can't get inside his head, but he's like, you know, I, I got a job to do. I want to do it the best I can. And the, at some point, you got to go, I'm hurting my, you know, am I hurting my brand by being out there? And does that matter to me? And for right. some guys that matters, you know, if, you know, for like, you know, for lunch pail guys like me, it don't really matter that much. My, it, my brand is what it is, but, but for some guys, that's going to, that's going to make a difference. And I, so I think at this, for this, uh, generation of athlete, I think the thing that probably sticks with them most is not the pain tolerance or not even the ability, but it's like, how much is this going to affect how people view me? And can I deal with that? And then the other part is what Devondre is saying is like, is somebody going to come out and say and have my back that I'm busting my ass for this this group, you know, or am I just going to have to you know be kind of critiqued with uh, the un, you know the, the the unsilent majority? Hey there, I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like Prize Picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. As a player, have we reached the point that you're just screwed either way? If you're Jair Alexander and you've got a shoulder injury and you're not playing, everyone's frustrated with you. David Bakhtiari's got numerous, you know, people commenting on how you know they're they're pissed that he's not playing over the course of the past couple seasons you don't play people hate you you do play and you're not yourself you've tried to play through the injury you've got everything out you don't play quite as well because of it everyone's pissed at you as well is it just a no-win situation and is there a way I know we're in the world of fantasy football and um and Madden and nobody's a real person but is are we just is it just gone is it's just the way it's going to be well, I think the thing you have to, re- and this is the thing you have to remember is that David Bakhtiari doesn't care what, what anybody thinks, you know, he doesn't care what a fan thinks. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm sure David, I'm sure, I don't know him, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he likes to have people like him, 
But he, if if somebody's going, oh, you know, this and this and this, and he's hurt, like he doesn't care. You think he cares right. about? You think he cares about what those guys think? They don't. He doesn't care at all. And and none of the guys do. When I say that, when when I make the comment that, like Devondre wants somebody to stand up and say something for him, like it's it's it it's not because it's not because you know Rob Domofsky saying something in the paper. He doesn't care about Rob. Domofsky. He doesn't care about Rob or who anybody. I can pick a name. Yep. He could care less about those guys. What he cares about is the people in the building are acknowledging that he's sacrificing. That's all you want. You just, you know, you, you, you have a, you have a group that you respect and that you, you actually care about what they think about you. You know, it's like if, if, if Andy, it's, I always tell it to the people like this. If, if I told you to go in front of your, your, uh, your kids like preschool class and tell a story, you're not going to be nervous at all. Are you? Cause they're, they're four-year-olds. You don't care. You know what I mean? I mean, in other words, they're not your peer group, right? Yeah. But if I put you in front of a group of people that you really respect and you got to give a big speech, like you're going to be sweating a little bit before because you care about what they think. Yep. And, and, and in the NFL, you know, it's they really those the people that they really care about what they think are already in the building. And so they just wanted that acknowledge. They, these guys just want that acknowledgement from them. if they have it from them, they're going to be comfortable with everything else. It's funny because if some people ask me from time to time of like, well, like, what if like a player is upset because you were critical of them or you gave them a background? Like the last thing that they should ever be concerned about is like what I say or what I grade I give them. Like, if, like, why would you ever care? You've got, you've got your own people in your own building that you can worry about that stuff. Like if players should not care whatsoever about what any of us are probably well, really uh, saying. The only, the only, the only thing I'd say about that is like PFF is an, is an example of like a, a, a job, a, a group that because of Chris Collinsworth has really become popular and and teams all use it and because they use it for like first and second down analytics and whatnot they'll also try to some contract guys will say well pfs said he was only 78 this year and it's like the fact that that is allowed is like the fact if an a if if a, if a gm came to me as an agent and said that i would i would literally hang up i would laugh hang up the phone and never call him back just go to a different team yeah because it's 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 so ignorant but that does happen now. And, and these, you know, it's like you get paid more if you're a pro bowler. Well, how do you get how, like, what are the three elements of getting pro bowl votes? Well, only one of them is the one that matters. Like the only one that really matters is whether or not, you know, your, your, your peers think you're any good or not. Now, if the media thinks you're good, that's great. If the fans think, if the fans like your Twitter account and they think you're good, that's okay too. But it really doesn't matter, but it does affect the way you get paid. Yep. So some of this stuff is, like there's there's obviously interaction here between media fans and players that is an important part of football, and um, unfortunately sometimes those lines get those lines get a little blurry. I think. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, let's jump to the offensive side of the ball. There were a couple positive takeaways. I know you tweeted out about Tucker Craft's blocking. I wanted to ask you because it sounds like. Um, a part of this is that they're putting him in good positions to succeed as a blocker. What have you seen out of Tucker Craft? Yeah, Tucker's obviously continuing to get better, more comfortable with the playbook. Um, my comment was just that they're not putting him in a situation like – they're not trying to line him up against their outside line – stand-up outside linebacker defensive end and just trying to one-on-one block because he's, he's really not equipped to do that yet um, at, a, at a high level. Yep. And so what they're doing is that you know they still do a little bit of the split flow stuff and they'll, they'll run a lead where you know he's, maybe he's running a slip block with another tight end or a tackle – or they'll get him on the second level against a linebacker or like a middle linebacker or an off the field, off the ball linebacker who's a little bit kind of physically more equal to. 
And so they're putting in positions. My, you know, my whole point is like Matt LaFleur has done such a good job of installing his playbook and then going, all right, well, let's see what these guys are really good at. And now let's, let's just have them do more of that. So we're not, you know, going back to, during the, during the film session going, you know, why are we asking Tucker Kraft to block Aiden Hutchinson? That doesn't make any sense. Let's stop doing or Max Crosby. Like, let's stop doing that and let's have him go on the off the ball linebacker where he we can actually do a pretty good job. Everybody's happy with the work that he's doing. He he builds a lot of confidence and now he grows as a player. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite things of the evolution of the offense this season is it really feels like everyone has a specific role within the offense, or at least to your point. Um, Matt's using them in the positions that you really utilizes their skill sets best. And Matt, I really wish Musgrave and Watson didn't get hurt and Jones didn't get hurt. And obviously Bakhtiari didn't get hurt because I think they have a lot of the right skill positions doing the right things. And you were really starting to see this offense click. And I think some of those injuries slowed things down uh, more than a little bit, but it's also allowed the opportunity for guys like Tucker Kraft to get more playing time and also no pun intended hone their craft. Um, as well. And it's been a, a positive uh, experience, I think, for some of those younger guys who've gotten a little bit more playing time, like Tucker. Another player I wanted to ask you about on offense was Rashid Walker. Um, a lot of positives bandied about this week about Rashid, but I trust your offensive line evaluation more than just about anyone's, not just about anyone's, more than anyone's. Uh, your thoughts on Rashid and how he's been playing this past month? Well, since they started splitting time, you know, I, I it kind of always goes back to the same thing for me. Like, I think he's gotten better maybe not linearly, but pretty much week in and week out since the beginning of the season, he, he won the job in training camp um, over Yash. And then they, you know, there was some, there's some up and downs versus some, you know, good players. And and listen, it's not like, you know, why did he like, why did he win the job in training camp? My opinion. Well, he's a stronger athlete. He's got, I I like, I just like his footwork better. And I think his footwork translates better, uh, particularly in the run game than, than Yash's did. I mean, that's it. Nothing's like nothing's changed. He's just he's continuing to become a you know the more you play, the more reps you get, the better you become, and that's I that's what you see with Rasheed Walker. Now, does that mean that Rasheed Walker is your your five year answer at left tackle? I uh, that's that's probably a, 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 dis, a discussion to be had about that. But yeah. but for this season, you have to be. Um, look, when you look at this offensive line. You have to you have to sit here and go. Realistically, you've got Jenkins and you've got Zach Tom, and they're yep. both young, relatively, and they're both Zach Tom is particularly is, is you know arguably one of the better team players on your entire offensive team right now. Yep, and uh, he's only going to get better, and he could become an elite level. Ta- he's athletic enough, and his ceiling's high enough athletically. That you go, he could really be an elite level tackle in this this league, and and and, and Jenkins, if he um, becomes a little bit maybe more intrigued with finishing through the whistle, he could become an elite level left guard as well. So you, you those are your right now kind of your cornerstones of your team. And then for me, it's you start starting to ask these questions. Like if you want to really make a difference on this offense, it's probably going to be along the offensive line. And now it's like, do you want to get a Rashid Walker? Or really, it's not the right guard. It's going to be, do you want to get a Rashid Walker? Or do you want to have somebody, or do you want to keep him? Or do you want to keep Josh Myers? And I think one of those guys in the offseason maybe is somebody you look for. A, I mean, if there was a big-time trade opportunity or if there's just a can't-miss guy in the first round, it's just something you might look at unless you feel like Josh has been taking enough, enough strides to, to move forward. And I feel comfortable about how he leads the room in the, in, the tra- in the meeting room, how he is in practice, 
how his practice habits are, how he communicates, and then the same with Rashid at whatever whatever form or facet you think is appropriate for his position. So I, I think all these guys are evolving and continuing to 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 build. Um, if you're looking at this team to be really good at the skill position areas next year, like if you think Jordan Love's going to take a huge step and you think all these wide receivers and, and tight ends are going to kind of be where you think they're going to be next year as far as um, pre-snap recognition, you know, communication and execution, then you're like, the only thing that might hold us back now is the offensive line. And where can we really upgrade there? And what and what kind of difference can that make, you know, in the next three, four or five years? Yeah, what I've been talking about is I think if you could get like in the first, early, second round, like somebody with tackle guard versatility, um, now you have competition everywhere because if it's Rashid, all right, now you just drafted a guy in the first or second round that can compete there. You can probably move Elton out if you need to, Zach Tom, if you need to, you've got a lot of versatility there. At center, if, if all of a sudden you've got a player who can start on the outside and Josh Myers is your weak link, all right, you could theoretically move Elton inside. You could theoretically move Zach inside. It just gives you a lot of opportunity to actually get your best five guys on the field. And again, I'm not excited or like, I would not want to move Zach or Elton. I think you just kind of yeah. try to set it and forget it, but it does give you more optionality of trying to get your best five out on the field. And if you go through camp and it's Sean Ryan or Josh Myers or Rashid Walker, that's the weak link. Now you've got some different options that can go in those specific, specific spots. Yeah. I, you know, for me, I think that's, um, I don't disagree with the idea. I think for me, I really like to have guys that, you know, you like to have guys that can play everywhere. There's no question about it. Like, so if you guard, but maybe that's like a first year thing. Like uh, when, you know, when they drafted Laramie into, into Miami, they put him at guard because Brandon Albert was there, but then it was like, everyone knew he was going to be a left tackle. tackle yeah. Right. Um, I don't know if you, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move Jenkins. I mean, we, I've already tried the, the tackle experiment. I wouldn't move him. Zach Tom's going to be, if, if Zach Tom has the potential to be a pro bowl level, right tackle, just leave him. Um, and, and quite frankly, these days, when you look at like first, like when you look at high level tackles in the, in the first round of the draft or high level guards, there's very few of those guys. Now, if you notice this, that, that are like, Oh yeah, well he can play either. It's like, no, yeah. the, the guys that they really value in the first round are like, we're tackles now, or we're guards now, but not necessarily both. Not that they're not that they couldn't be like Trevor Penning, the guy they picked up from the saints a couple of years ago is like the Tommy tough guy and all the film. Yep. You could kind of go like, yeah, you could probably play both. Right. But for a lot of these, you know, the Ohio state guy, the Tennessee guy, like, dude, he's playing, he's a tackle, right. Tackle, you know, the yeah. kid from the kid that plays for the bears. Um, all right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I'm not down on anybody on this offensive line. I'll say that. Um, I, I think that they just, I think all the, the guys that aren't playing at the level that you want them to play at, I don't know what the physical limitations are versus like, technically like a lot of the footwork's still pretty, you know, it's, it's just not where you want it to be yet. Yeah. And even when you watch, um, Oh gosh, who did we just play Tampa? Like Tampa's Tampa's um, offensive line isn't full. Of, Tristan Wirfs is an absolute unit. The rest of those dudes are just average NFL athletes, but they they actually are pretty good with their feet, and they do a good job of kind of what we just call sticking to. They stay square to the line of scrimmage, and they don't really get off the. They don't get like uh, they don't get thrown around very often. Like don't, guys don't detach from their blocks very often, and like that's just technique work. And so if if, if you're not getting that at this level then and, and the guys aren't performing then it's like well we just, you got to get them there and then this goes back to the earlier conversation of like okay what is what is the way that they're going to get there yeah that'll be interesting to keep an eye on and see what they do if they just bring in some competition or if they're more willing to roll with a couple of those guys all right before i get you out of here 
It is officially the Mike Wall Bowl this week, Packers versus Panthers. First of all, whose side are you on? And second of all, what are you watching for this week in, uh, in this upcoming game? Uh, so the, who's, well, I'm, I'm much more of a Packers fan than a Panthers fan. I, in Fair fact, enough. I would rank it Pat, Packers, Seahawks, Panthers. I, I, uh, I got injuries in, in Carolina, played through some, some really bad conversations with, with, you know, we just kind of talked about. Yeah. So I, I'm not, uh, I, I was thrilled when David Tepper bought the team. I was thrilled when David Tepper bought that. I thought it was a great change of ownership idea. But seven years later, you know, he's got $70 million on the books for coaches that he's fired already in the last two seasons. Not and the, the Matt Rule experiment, I think everybody knew was going to be a bad deal. And I'm sorry if you're a Nebraska guy, but I, mean, I, I just, you know, you know, he, everybody who was there was like, come on, what do we, why are we drafting? Why are we bringing this guy in? And that didn't work. And then, you know, Frank, uh, Frank was such an interesting thing, right? Because he was he was so good with Carson early in, in Philly. And then he, he goes to Indy and Carson crumbles because they don't have a coach that can teach him footwork anymore. His footwork goes to hell and he can't throw the ball. And so he gets fired in, in Indy. And then instead of taking a year, instead of doing like the Mike McCarthy sabbatical, just, just taking a deep breath and like reflecting a little bit, he scoops up and gets hired by Tepper immediately. And it was it was a real it was a real head scratcher. Yeah. And, and Frank Reich seems like a really good guy, and he put together a good staff. And I think it was a tough situation down there with the owner. But then he, you know, you get fired halfway through the season, two two years in a row. Like it, it's it's just nuts, and it can it, that can really dismantle an organization. So um, I think it'll be. I don't think they're very close to being good for a while. I think it's, I think the only good thing about you know being with the Panthers right now is that the NFC South's not very not very good either. As as it pertains to this game, Andy, this is a good defense. They've got they've got good players on defense, man. Derek Brown versus whoever our right guard is, you better buckle up, man, because that guy can play. Brian Burns and Zach Tom is going to be a match. I, if I if I'm, I, I watch almost all the Carolina Panthers games, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if they move Brian over over Rashid uh, for at least half the game. He yeah. usually plays on the left side of their defense. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they bring him over there. But I like Grossmata. I love Frankie LeVu. Frankie LeVu is a stud, dude. And the way that guy rushes the passer, like I've seen him just drop right guards on stutter blitzes. I've seen him make guys miss. He made guy, he made the right guard 51 uh, for the Saints miss last week for a sack. Um, he, I like him running pass. Their secondary's got some experience now. They're just dealing with a very, very inept offense. And yeah. they've got great – James Camp is their O-line coach. He's a great coach. I mean, he's almost success in Green Bay, right? It's just they had uh, – Aiden Corbett was the right guard. He came over from, from L.A. Rams, and he's hurt. And Taylor Moten's still a great right tackle, one of the more underrated players in the league. Rashawn Gary and Taylor Moten matchup is going to be awesome. But Iki Aquano, we're talking about technique. Iki Aquano is one of the best athletes you will see just yeah. walking around. But he has he has he's very very poor with kind of what we just call being grounded like good relationship with the ground, and he has he has very very erratic inconsistent technique and he has been they've all kind of taken a step back because of some of these injuries and because of the fact that he hasn't taken a step forward. Um, Frank brought in an offense that was a lot of shotgun drop back you know shotgun RPO stuff, and Bryce Young doesn't do a good job of getting off his first read. He does, he's not very good at it. He's, when you look at CJ, when you look at Jordan Love, I mean, these young guys, the difference in the players isn't the arm. It's your ability to get from your first to second to your third read. 
And like CJ Stroud's showing everybody that it can be done at, at the at the quarterback level as a rookie or as a young player, and all these other guys are playing catch up. And so when you look at the Packers and Panthers on offense, like you see a lot of the same themes. They're really building now. Thomas Brown is they're playing a lot more downhill. They want to use under center and they want to use pistol formation so they can they can cut the field in half with play action. They can they can have a more downhill running game for that offensive line to, you know, and Chuba Chuba Hubbard to uh to get rolling a little bit better. I think they've had some success the last couple of weeks. But really that under center and that pistol play action, that really cuts the field in half for, for Bryce Young. It reduces – it helps him with the coverage, and it reduces the amount of decisions he has to make so he can play faster. Um, but there's a lot going on there. I mean, they're averaging 14 points a game. They're, they're just not very good. And what will be interesting this week, Andy, is Preston and Rashawn versus those tackles. Again, I'm going to say it. Taylor Moten is one of the most underrated right tackles in the National Football League. He has been good since day one. He's been a leader there. He's a really, really good player. That matchup is going to be fun to watch between him and Rashawn Gary because – and then on the other side with Preston and Nicky because this kid has been sacked 54 times, and he feels pressure. Like, they, he feels it, and he's when he feels it, he's gone, man. He's not, like, looking to step up and shuffle his feet and find number three. He's trying to get the heck out of there. And whether he's running away, whether he's running to the line of scrimmage, like he's trying to leave the area. So it's that second and third rush of that effort that it's going to take to get him down. But he will feel pressure early. And for that reason, I'm really hoping as for the Packers, this is kind of a get right game. Let's load up the box, stop Chuba, put their tight ends in positions where they got to play one-on-one versus our defensive ends and make blocks because they can't – Tommy Tremble and the, the group can't do it. And then, man, get after this kid – because if you, they're going to isolate. They're going to go three by one or four by one, and they're going to put Thielen on the other side. And if you, if Thielen doesn't get free right now, his eyes going back here, man, he feels pressure fast. So it's like, yeah. get him off the first read. You got to play up on Thielen. You cannot play eight yards deep or twelve yards deep. You got to play up on him. Get him off his first read. Make him turn his head. Feel pressure. Rally to the quarterback. Well, hopefully we're not talking about next week why they played 10 yards off of Adam Thielen in our, our breakdown next week. Frankie Louvu, really fun player, as you mentioned. I think he's a free agent in the offseason. That would be an interesting name if he's they decided to move. Man. That guy's a, yeah. he's really good. Love the physicality that he plays with. Uh, that would be a fun one if Green Bay decided to move off of Devondre Campbell and actually decided to spend some money, but um, we'll see if that's actually in the cards or not. Mike, phenomenal stuff as always. Love every Friday uh, getting to chat with you. Tell everyone where they can find your work and uh, anything else you want to plug. Yeah. Sorry if I went on, uh, I've been, it's like, th- where should we shoot this on Thursday? It's like Thursday rant day for me. I, I, I actually have a rant section in my show today. I shot, so I, on my block podcast is out. You can get it on prostitute perform channel on YouTube and wherever I get it. But I actually in, in included a rant. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I, when I started clipping it up, like I, I actually did a rant session today because it's some of the stuff you're reading here is just, Mind, it's mind bending. But you can find me, Mike Wall60 on Twitter, Prosper Perform, and Instagram. Andy, thanks for having me on, man. It's always fun. Mike, anytime you want to have a rant session, just tell me to shut up. You can have the whole 37 minutes to, to go on any rant that you want to go on. I'm happy to let you have that platform. I'm sure everyone else would uh, be happy with it as well. But if you want the rant session, go check out uh, on my blog podcast. It is can't miss every single week. Of course, follow him at Mike Wall68. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. But until next time, and as always, go pack go.